The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome back, everybody, to The Basement Binge. As we continue through Nolan November, I'm very excited. This is the start of the Batman trilogy or the Dark Knight trilogy, starting with Batman Begins. First, thank you to everybody who participated on the things on Instagram for this episode. If you want to contribute to the next episodes coming out, The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises, of course, the other Nolan films coming, follow me at The Basement Binge on Instagram or any social media and uh, contribute that way. Let's get into the episode here with two cents. If you somehow have not seen this movie and don't want it spoiled, don't worry, Two Cents is absolutely spoiler-free, so feel free to listen to the entire thing. I'll let you know before the spoilers come. Also, if you listen to the end of Two Cents, I'll let you know how you can watch this movie for free if you're one of those individuals who has not seen it. Okay, let's jump right into it here. This is the film that gives us the start of, I think, Christopher Nolan's main success. As much as the prestige I love, and I know that it follows us, I think that the prestige is skipped over in a lot of people's minds. This is where Nolan really started to come into what he is and be successful with his work. And I'm not just talking about like succeeding with Madman, but just as a filmmaker coming into his talents and, and learning how to use them and, and what he wants to use them for. I'm speaking with absolutely zero experience, but making a blockbuster, making a movie is hard, but particularly making a blockbuster I think would be particularly hard. Christopher Nolan has this skill to think on the scale and at the pace that is required for a good blockbuster. I just reviewed The Prestige, where the entire thing was tightly contained and really small. But before that, in here, he was building tanks and smashing through walls and throwing Batman off grimy roofs in the narrows of Gotham that he built. He, he knows how to go big and small, and it, it works really well. Batman has been around forever, and Chris is among the first to get into the head and the heart of the character. There's a lot more interest in why Batman is doing this and how that changes the world around him than there is interest in seeing Batman just beat up people as Batman. The symbol of Batman, the iconic costume, doesn't show up for over an hour of the film's runtime. We spend the whole time with Bruce Wayne and finding out what could actually drive a man to such lengths of becoming Batman. 
like Matt from Matt Goes to the Movie says, this is a fantastic Batman film because it handles the duality of Batman and Bruce extremely well. I'll get more into that later, but it is absolutely true. Batman Begins never worries itself about being a good Batman movie or a good comic book movie. There weren't really huge things at the time, but it never limits itself with that idea. It's just focused on being a good film, complete with witty dialogue, fantastic editing, incredible production design, and performance that have cemented these characters in the hearts of so many. These are the defining versions of these characters for most of us. We don't just see some psycho in a bat suit punching people. We see a city that needs a terrifying beast to beat it to a pulp and criminals who now have something to fear. It handles themes of justice, fear, commitment, loyalty, family, grief, anger, guilt, and corruption. This is a start of a fantastic trilogy that used Batman for what he really is, a fantastical version of the real world, and not just in design, but in what it portrays about our world. And while this was never intended to be a franchise starter, just a good movie, these films were made one at a time, which seems unheard of these days. It's impressive how it sets such a solid foundation for all that follows. The Dark Knight is the film that I know best of this trilogy. So coming back to this after a while, it's interesting to see how much of it was already here. The foundation is laid both with, you know, technical parts of the film in the production design, especially in the score. Those themes are already here so strong, but also in the story and the character of Bruce. It's impressive to see how it sets it up so smoothly, even though that was never the intention. The intention was just to make a good film now. The Batman Begins treatment is something that Mike Apps on Letterboxd, one of my favorite people on the app, talks about how some films, like the new Tomb Raider film that came out in like 2016 or something, everything gets like Batman Begins treatment because this revolutionized, because this revolutionized how we could believe in and be invested in a character. But that's all I'm going to say spoiler-free. So we're going to get into the other segments here. Again, that is the end of the spoiler-free section. So if you haven't seen this film, if you are in the U.S., I have a way for you to watch this film for free. It's called The Screen Pass Through Movies Anywhere. It's absolutely free, and it is only intended for me to share. It is does mean nothing unless I share it. It is eligible for this film, including many others in my collection. If you want that, leave a review on Podchaser and let me know. That helps others show a ton. Connect with me on social media, whatever. I'm happy to share them. Also, if you want to contribute to those other episodes, like I said, coming up, follow me on social media, particularly Instagram. Anyway, let's move on to the next segment here. Pick your poison. This is the rating scale. Again, we're into the spoilers here, but this is the rating scale for the basement binge. Out of four options, how would I interact with this film after this particular watch? How bingeable is it? At the bottom of the list, we have to never watch it again. Self-explanatory. Above that is to stream it. It's on a service we're already paying for. You're willing to click on it when you're browsing through, just looking for something to watch. Above that is rented. In the right circumstances, whether that's through Redbox or digitally or whatever, you'd be willing to rent it. The top of the list is buy it. Digital, Blu-ray, 4K, whatever. Spend the dough. Watch it as much as you want. For me, this is definitely a buy. I've owned this film for a while. It blew me away as a kid, and I've loved it ever since. On top of that, this film just has fantastic special features. Every once in a while you get one of those Blu-rays that you watch like, yeah, these are good special features. Some of them in this disc are better than others, but these are decent that they're allowed to actually be content that's worth watching and not just like a teaser of cool stuff about the film, but they're a good length to let you learn about the film and be invested in how it was made. So if you own this film, check out the bonus features. But outside of those things, this film is definitely a buy. I'm going to watch this many, many times. I love it. I'm going to continue to love it. The journey of Bruce Wayne becoming Batman and how it's told here. And not just the, oh, this is how he got his gadget. This is why he's a bat. While that is there, it's the emotional journey that someone would go to to become Batman is, is so interesting this time around. As a kid, it was always, oh my gosh, the Tumblr, 
oh my gosh, this, you know, those cool factor things. And now it's, it's character, emotional based things that I really love. Well, the cool factor is definitely there. So with that kind of in mind, that flows real perfectly into Live Up, where I talk about my expectations for the film and if it was able to live up to them. To set my expectations right for this film, I got to tell you this story about a younger me. I must have had it been about 12 or 13. My family had gone a Blu-ray player. My dad was big into technology advancements, particularly things like that. I remember he was really excited about a Blu-ray player and him telling me a lot about how cool a Blu-ray was versus a DVD when I was young. Anyway, a few years after we had the Blu-ray player, we had had it for a while. I remember going through the discs and randomly somehow finding Batman Begins, the Blu-ray. There is no reason we should have owned that, okay? We only had a few Blu-rays because we had a ton of DVDs from before and we hadn't bought many new movies. Maybe it came with the play or something because there's no reason that my dad would have bought that. I don't even think he'd seen the movie and I had no idea where it come from and I knew what movies were on the shelf and where they came from if it was like a gift or something. So I, to this day, I have no idea where it came from, but I watched it and my mind was blown. I remember going to school and trying to explain why the witty lines about the tumbler that the cops were saying was so cool or Gordon saying he wanted one or whatever when he asked if it comes in black, why that was so cool to my friends, to my family. I remember trying to explain to them how cool this movie was because that cool factor really blew me away. I mean, I was like 12, of course, the cool factor. I was never really a huge fan of Batman. Outside of a few toys I had, that, that was it. But this film made me a fan of Batman. This was the coolest character I've ever seen. Now, this story continues on into me eventually watching The Dark Knight. I think I've told that story before, but I'm excited to tell it on the next episode. So subscribe for that because, yeah, The Dark Knight. Wow. Anyway, Batman Begins. I just remember it blew me away. I, I wanted people to understand how cool this was. So what was it like coming back to the film? I've seen it many times since then, but not many times in the last five years or so. In fact, maybe not at all. I, I can't remember the last time I watched this. So whenever I wanted to watch Batman again, it was always just the dark night. Like I've seen that multiple, multiple times, but here I, I haven't seen this in, in years. So anyway, coming back, all of those things I've loved are still there. The cool factor, like I said, is sweet. Batman being intense with cool gadgets that feels real. The Tumblr, witty lines, Batman's costume, Gotham being absolutely terrifying, including Scarecrow. And the story, which I didn't really understand much outside of what I understood at the time, is that this guy is afraid of bats and a criminal killed his parents. So he trained to become a killer to stop the criminals and uses the Batman symbol to make his enemies fear what he fears. The bad guy uses gas that makes you see your fears and Batman wins. Like, like that's all I understood about the story. Everything else around it was the cool factor. And it's interesting how right those memories were, but how coming back with new understanding about so many things makes me appreciate way more and see more depth and everything. The cool factor is still there. I know I keep saying that, but more than anything, this time I noticed the emotional journey of Bruce with his grief and his anger. Things like Alfred's genuine love for Bruce, the corruption of Gotham on so many levels and what that adds to the story, the mission of the League of Shadows and an incredibly intentional story in how someone could really become Batman. Those were the things that I loved. While it was exciting when Bruce sees the Tumblr for the first time, that wasn't what I was really paying attention to. It was like, yeah, 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 I know that. I'm, I'm pulling out other details here. And it, it's so interesting how you go back and visit something and different things stand out to you. I mean, for example, here's just a few lines about the story and the emotional part of it that I just thought were so great and that, that I just kind of have to read off because of how good they are. When Bruce is explaining what he hopes to do, he says the means to fight and he seeks the means to fight injustice to turn fear to those who prey on the fearful. When he refuses to become an executioner, Duckard, Liam Neeson's character, says this compassion is a weakness your enemies will not share. 
And he replies, and that is why it is so important. It separates us from them. Those are things that I just never caught when I was younger, but they add such a richness to the film and make it more than a cool, gritty Batman orange origin story. I almost said orange story again. Longtime listeners know that. But there's this other line here. If you devote yourself to an idea, you become something else entirely. This is that story of Bruce Wayne's commitment to an idea because he wants to change the city and he cares about it so much. He isn't motivated by much beyond wanting to stop crime in his city. Like his view is pretty simple. Like crime is bad. I'm going to stop it. But wrapped up in that is this desire for so many things for him as an individual that leads him to being Batman. And it's an incredible story. So yes, it completely exceeded every expectation because there, there's so much more here than I ever could have remembered as a, as a young kid. So with that, let's move on to binge points here. These are Easter eggs, details, fun things that I want to mention about the film. Before we get into the things specifically about the film, let's talk about things that were happening on Instagram. So I asked people to rate the film out of 10. It got an average of about a five or six. It's hard to tell with that slider thing. About a five or six is what I got. And then I only came up with one question for the film. I asked, what is better in Batman Begins, the Tumblr or Alfred? As of right now, it's tied at 50-50. If I go throwing my vote in there, it's on Alfred. He wins barely. But that's always from Instagram. Let's get into the sweet details here. These are the type of binge points we haven't had in a while, but something these Christopher Nolan films are so good at and in having more detail that I never had before. Details in the film. And I'm not just talking like, Easter eggs, but just detail, things that are subtle that you don't necessarily notice, but when you do, it adds new layers to it. The one for me that I got to mention at first that that really, really impacted me is when Bruce gets poisoned or Batman gets poisoned and he he calls for Alfred to help him and Alfred comes and picks him up and he's sitting in the back of the car talking about how he's poisoned and Alfred is driving. You see this sincere emotion and concern for Bruce on Alfred's face and I thought it was really powerful. And I just want to mention it simply as that, that it's a great detail. Other ones here, the way that it's, it's Batman who comes back and not Bruce. And the way that Rachel recognizes that and says that, that Bruce is his mask, it's because he comes back as Batman. That's, I mean, that's why he come, came back. We, we see Batman here being a detective to find out who is involved in things. We see briefly, not as much as we do in The Dark Knight, but we briefly see him be detective E to figure out that Gordon is a good cop that he can trust. You know, who's involved in what ways. It's fantastic. Uh, an actual Easter egg detail that we have when the prisoners are released from Arkham. Briefly visible is Mr. Zazaz, a serial killer from the comics who has tally marks scarred into his skin representing each of his victims and we see him for a brief moment. Uh, Another detail that really impressed me here is Falcone and everyone being involved under him. The way that his corruption influences everything from Joe Chill's death to Arkham Asylum to the Scarecrow to the shipments of drugs and his kind of indirect involvement in the League of Shadows. He is involved in everything and it sells the corruption of this town and, and makes you see what is wrong with Gotham and why it needs help, why it needs the Batman. And the way that Batman makes a difference in the police's efforts to catch Falcone and how that means something I, I never noticed before. And then lastly, as, a, as an Easter egg here, the Joker card teased at the end of the movie. This, like I said at the beginning, was never planned to be like a trilogy. That this They made one film and it had success, so then they made a second and that had success and they made a third. Clearly, Christopher Nolan had ideas and the writers had ideas, but they made one movie. And so that ending, it was actually something that the studio was worried about. When Christopher Nolan was kind of screening it for producers in the studios, they were worried. They told him like, oh, isn't that too sequel baity like like people aren't gonna like it you're sequel baiting too much when we're not for sure gonna have a sequel and he tried to reassure him no 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 that's not what it's for 
it's there just because it's fun to walk out of the theater and imagine these characters in this universe continuing on. That's exciting. And it's interesting how different that is now from everything we get in major blockbusters, particularly in the comic book genre, how everything is a sequel tease. So very, very interesting, different times. So now with those out of the way, let's get into the production and behind the scenes binge points that I have loved to mention on these episodes. In one of the bonus features, I think it was the last one, Christopher Nolan said something that I thought was amazing. He said, there's not a frame of the film I don't call as my own. And that's satisfying from a creative point of view. There's so much discussion going on and about directors and, and, and filmmakers, not just the director, but filmmakers having creative control over things and, and, and in a product type production world that we live in. I, I just think it's interesting with everything happening around this discussion and, and Christopher Nolan leaving to Universal instead of sticking with Warner Brothers, who's served him so well because of creative ambition. And it, it's just great to see people have that. It, it gives me hope. And I, I'm glad for Chris. So let me give you some detail about how this really happened. He started developing this script. He had some ideas, but then he felt like he needed someone who understood the universe of Batman and would help him be loyal to that legacy. So he brought on David Goyer and the two of them in Christopher Nolan's garage started writing it. And then in the early stages of writing, they brought on production designer Nathan Crowley, who's done the production design for pretty much all of Nolan's films. And he was brought in so early because no one thought that for the producers to catch the vision of what they were writing, they needed a physical thing they could see to catch the style and the idea. The Tumblr in specific was something that Christopher Nolan made horribly out of Play-Doh as one specific item that he used quite a lot when talking to producers because he believed that if they could see that and get the idea, that they could get the whole film. And so there was just a lot of creative freedom that they had just the three of them working off each other in a garage and how well that carried over to the screen for example the tumbler they made like five models and i think the fifth one was the one that they that we see for the tumbler it was an idea to be a cross between like a lamborghini a military humvee and a stealth bomber and that model was transferred over into the film so well. And it's interesting that as this writing process was going on, Christopher Nolan really wanted secrecy. He didn't want people knowing what they were doing, which I have so many complaints about Spider-Man No Way Home, but he wanted to keep it a secret as much as he could. And so when writing, he didn't want people to know what they were working on. So they came up with a separate name for the scripts and for the film. Everything was printed for the intimidation game. On top of that, he didn't make copies of the script, that original script that they wrote up. Producers had to come to that garage. They set up some couches for them and read that one copy of the script that they were working on just to have absolute secrecy. It's very interesting. Some other production details here. We're just going to jump through a list here, so it might change topics quickly. But we, you probably already know about Christian Bale's extreme weight change from The Machinist. He was at about 110 pounds. And, and according to IMDb, he's about 6'1", six, 6'2", six, six something like that, over six feet tall. But he was 110 pounds. That's, that's skinny. For example, I'm 6'3", and I'm kind of in an average build. Like, I'm, yeah, particularly now. And I'm about 185 pounds. So significantly, significantly lower. If you, if you don't know, just Google Christian Bale, the machinist. That was real, incredible method acting. Anyway, he goes from that to Batman Begins and put on tons of weight. Christopher Nolan to put on said, put on as much as you can. And he went up to 220 pounds, gained over 100 pounds 
but he looked kind of bearish and just, and the crew actually called him fat man because he was just this burly dude and they were worried that he wasn't going to fit in the suit. So he, then he had to cut back and he got a lot leaner and, and musclier and got around a, a 200 pounds, give or take, and, and fit in the suit that way. And it's just impressive the work he put in. Jumping topics here. This film is one of the first instances of Casey fighting style being used in the film. At the time, it was relatively new, but one that Nolan and the stunt coordinators and fight director thought fit the character as it was a very emotional and reactive type fighting. It's intense and full of very practical actions. Batman is a very function-focused entity, and this fighting style matches. David Foreman, for example, the fight ranger, said, it's very animalistic fighting, full of emotion. If Batman feels like he wants to headbutt you, he will. And it, it really comes across well. And it matched the way Christian Bale played Batman. He didn't want to be Bruce Wayne in a suit. He wanted it to be a different character. He wanted him to be a beast that his kick could go right through someone. And it's great how that really all worked together. And Christian Bale was actually involved in the fight scenes, 16 of the fight scenes to be exact. Some moments stunt performers were used, especially for things like coverage, but most of it was Christian Bale. And then when Liam Neeson was there, most of it was Liam Neeson. They were really involved in the fight. It took lots of work and planning. So stunt coordinators did a lot of practice and then they would block it and film it and to allow christian bale to watch it with clips to get down so that it wouldn't take as much time on set and he really uh, through his great memory learned them quickly and was able to prepare so this great fight choreography uh is edited pretty quickly so you may watch the film and think well that's kind of dumb but it was actually really intentional it isn't just cheap editing this flash editing was used with quick cuts because christopher nolan wanted it to be from the criminal's perspective that batman is incredibly quick and terrifying that you hardly see him and adds this fantastical quality to him. And it, it works so well. And when you do see the violence, whether you get glimpses of it or whatever, it, it feels threatening. And it, and it really, really works in the film. It's just incredible how well that worked out. And, and it's great to see that Christian Bale was involved so much. One thing that he was not allowed to be involved in is the tumbler. He wasn't allowed to go around that. It, it was built from the ground up. They built about five of them. And it was, like I mentioned, it was so accurate to Nathan's model that they even copied the globs of extra glue he had on his model. Now I'm going to come back to the tumbler in about half a second. Before I do, I want to mention this bat cave that they built. They built an actual cave, built it. That bat cave you see is a set that they built. In the past, bat caves for the past Batman live action films have been smaller sets with matte paintings to kind of fill out the area and you can see the limits of it. This is a full-blown cave with an actual river going through it that they built, a real waterfall. It took months to build it. Even the ceiling was built out to make a complete cave to make the lighting realistic. So tons of work to build this set, and it looks incredible. So now back to the tumbler. If you don't know, you probably don't because I didn't know how to look it up. The tumbler is about 10 feet wide, about 15 feet long, and about 5.5 feet tall. And driven by an incredible stunt driver, George Cottle. He did all the driving for the tumbler. They did lots of practice and went through the city driving the tumbler and they did lots of chase scenes with the car cam. And during the chase scenes, they were pushing 88 miles an hour, sometimes over 100, filming these incredible chase scenes. Both the tumbler was going that fast, but also the car camera. For context, most chase scenes never go about above 60 miles an hour in filming. So he was impressed that they really let him like push the limits. So the reason that I wanted to bring up the Batcave set is because after all the work of building that set and using it and making it look incredible, they actually jumped the two-ton tumbler through the waterfall. When you see them jump through the waterfall on land, that was actually done. It was a series of two jumps, one jump on land to 
kind of go off a ramp and, and signify the tumbler going into the waterfall. And then another one with tons of wire work to simulate it going through the waterfall. So the one outside was actually driven. The one going through the waterfall that they did on the set was just with a cannon and lots of wire work. Incredibly well done. It's just great that they would spend so much time building this set and then launch a two-ton vehicle through it. Other sets that they had to build, they built out Gotham City and the Narrows. It was actually an old airplane hangar that took about 10 months total to convert into a space that was usable as a film set, then also build up the set. It's incredible what it allowed them to do. It allowed them to shoot during the day, but make it look like night and have it rained. It got the grime of the Narrows and allowed them to shoot with and get the depth of it and see different offshoots going everywhere. It allowed the great steam work to be done practically that we see at the end of the film because they were able to build in a system that would produce that much steam on purpose. They knew they were going to do it, so they prepared for that. Now, we do get some CGI, mainly in the wide shots of the monorail moving through the city, but most of it is in the city is that set. Then for the monorail itself, that was actually when it crashes, for example, that was a combination of a little bit of CGI, but then also a miniature that was built at about a sixth scale, which is huge for a miniature. But the camera filled it, filmed that miniature crashing at four times speed, which was then slowed down in the film to give the train lifelike mass and weight to have it move properly instead of looking like a miniature. So incredible work to composite all that together. So then let's get into the bat costume. It was made by hand with rubber molds, but then painted black like we see in the film. And beyond just being cool to have it all black, it actually serves a, a purpose. This black latex spray paint prevents it from being seen with heat vision. So on top of it being really stealthy and not reflecting light, it also prevents it from being seen with heat vision. This costume crew actually invented their own nylon fabric that was more waterproof. Christopher Nolan was really adamant that it, the cape had to be really flowing like a cape, but it would get wet. So to solve this problem, they made a nylon that was covered in this hair fur-like material that would give it a light look and allow it to flow while also giving the sheen, but would protect it against water. In addition to that, it actually had a reaction to an electrical current. Memory fabric is actually a real fabric that was in development by the Department of Defense that they kind of collaborated on to use in the film. So this costume that is extremely uncomfortable, Christian Bale wore it all on the first day of shooting to get into the character. And he, Christian Bale, in multiple interviews, talked about how he really, it was uncomfortable. It would give him headaches. It made him uncomfortable. And he used the physical fatigue and headaches of the suit to fuel the impatience and fierceness of Batman. And, you know, channeling this other character that isn't human, that is very beastly. And it, it works really well in the film. He does feel like a different character when he's in the suit, not just Bruce Wayne in the suit. Now, as we close out the binge points here, if you're getting into comics and you've been wanting some comics to read, particularly that have been an inspiration to Batman Begins, the ones that they mentioned was The Long Halloween, the 70s Batman series, The Man Who Falls, Batman Year One by Frank Miller, and The Dark Knight Returns. Those were the main stories, both from style and story, that influenced this film the most. So check your local library if you haven't already. My library by me has tons of comics, which is great. It's free. Especially with iconic characters, you know, like Batman, Deadpool, they have, they have the most comics for that. So check out your library if you're interested in comics. Let's close out the bench points here with just lines that I want to mention. This, this film has great lines. Some of them really meaningful, some of them just fun and witty. Let's get into them. This one in particular I like. Bruce Wayne's dad is fantastic. Just the way he mentors him. When Bruce gets scared, he says, right before they go to the opera, he, he's telling him how the bats were afraid of him. And he says, all creatures feel fear, especially the scary ones. 
and how Bruce uses that, particularly, sadly, how we see how afraid the criminal or robber was who killed his parents. You can see the fear in him. That is a scary creature who is feeling fear. I thought it was a phenomenal line. Other fun lines, when he drives up in the Lamborghini and the valet says, nice car, and he kind of mumbles under his breast. You could see my other one. The line, it's not who you are underneath, but what you do that defines you. The way that Alfred tells Bruce that those are Bruce Wayne's guests out there and what that means for the character, that it's not Bruce Wayne there, that it's Batman who's come home. The fantastic line when Alfred says, what is the point of all those push-ups if you can't even lift a bloody log? Fantastic line. The iconic, why do we fall, sir, so we can learn to pick ourselves up. The great conversation between Bruce and Alfred when he wakes him up and, he's, and Bruce says, bats are nocturnal. Alfred res- replies, bats may be, but even f- for billionaire playboys, three o'clock is pushing it. The price of leading a double life, I fear. Your theatrics made an impression. He hands him the newspaper. Bruce Wayne. Theatricality and deception are powerful weapons, Alfred. It's a good start, Alfred. If those are to be the first of many injuries to come, it could be wise to find a suitable excuse. Polo, for instance. I'm not learning polo, Alfred. Alfred replies, strange injuries, a non-existent social life. These things beg the question as to what exactly does Bruce Wayne do with his time and his money? Bruce, and what does someone like me do? (laughs) Alfred, drive sports cars, date movie stars, buy things that are not for sale. Who knows, Master Wayne, your star pretending to have fun. You might have even a little by accident. And then he immediately goes and does those things. He drives a sports car, dates movie stars, and buys things that aren't for sale and has a little bit of fun. It's just a fantastic way that the the film plays out. Fantastic characterization of Bruce Wayne and, and Batman trying to be Bruce Wayne. It's fantastic. Other great lines we get here from... Ducard, but I know the rage that drives you, that impossible anger strangling the grief until the memory of your loved one is just poison in your veins. And one day you catch yourself wishing the person you loved had never existed, so you'd be spared your pain. What a fantastic line for many reasons. We get the fantastic conversation between a young Bruce, young adult Bruce, and Alfred when he comes back and he's saying how he's going to get rid of the house or whatever. And Bruce and Alfred's encouraging him not to. And then Bruce says, Should I just bury the past out there with my parents, Alfred? To which Alfred replies, I wouldn't presume to tell you what to do with your past, sir. Just know that there are those of us who care about what you do with your future. No more close to the delivery of Michael Caine, but still great line. I loved this line as well from Lucius Fox when Bruce is being deceitful to him about what he's using the things for. Mr. Wayne, if you don't want to tell me exactly what you're doing, when I'm asked, I don't have to lie. But don't think of me as an idiot. Fantastic line. Those are all the lines I have to go over here. Let's move on in the next segments here. Least and likes. These are my least favorite scenes and my favorite scenes. I'm just going to tell you now, I do not have a least favorite scene. There's not a moment of the film that I do not love when I'm watching. Not a moment drags. So let's move on to my favorite scene. Honorable mention before we do. Christian Bale has a fantastic stare in the opening of the film when the guy says he's the devil. And he says, you're not the devil, you're practice. The way he looks at him is just absolute determination. Fantastic performance, great introduction to the character, love it. But if I had to pick one scene, it's the entire scene when Rachel is poisoned. You see Rachel's bravery, but then Batman showing up and trying to save her. The chase, the tumbler driving on roofs, smashing through freeway barriers, the stealth mode, which is super fun. The emotion of Bruce coming through Batman how it starts, you know, him escaping with the bats and working with Gordon. I, it's, I just love it. Fantastic, fantastic. 
how it, what it leads to him getting home and dismissing his guests and then Razo Ghoul being there and the great line from Alfred about lifting a bloody log. It's a fantastic scene. It's intense. It's gripping. It's emotional. Love the scene. Let's move on to the last segment here, Fall In. This is where I talk about themes, messages, meaning, takeaways from the film that I really love. What I'm going to talk about here is first, the fantastic line, why do we fall? So we can learn to pick ourselves up again. Just a fantastic line. I don't need to add to it. That's a fantastic principle. But what I want to talk about more than that is commitment and how commitment changes lives. This line from the film, if you devote yourself to an idea, you become something else entirely. Now, this is talking more about becoming a legend in the eyes of people and what that does. But more than that, look at what Bruce's commitment does to his life. He becomes someone else. Look at what it does to Gotham. And not just in this film, but in the trilogy as well. What does it do to Gotham? Look what it does to so many people in his life, both for good and for bad. It makes a serious change. To drag it over into the real world outside of Gotham and Bruce Wayne, I had a commitment to the podcast. Look at how that's changed my life and changed other people's. If you're listening, hopefully it's been a positive change in your life. It's definitely been entertaining, I hope. Matt, for example, he was inspired by it. And not to be to my own horn, he's just something he's told me. He started a podcast because he heard, heard this one. Him and I have developed a great str- a friendship. I'm also a lot more stressed than I used to be. I'm also a lot more tired. I'm a lot busier, right? So there's both good and bad that comes from things. You know, finding so many more films that I love. My, my life has completely changed. And I'm not joking. It's being like, oh my gosh, this has been life-changing. Uh, not, not that type of life-changing, but just the dynamics and structure and, and existence and living of my life is very, very different because I'm committed to producing this podcast. I, I, I work a lot and I don't stop working and I'm really stressed because I have deadlines that I'm committed to doing. And there's negative consequences and there's positive ones. It's just a commitment to something makes serious changes because that's what commitment is, is changing, is doing things that produce change. Commitment is a powerful thing. My brother-in-law has this quote that I'm going to butcher. Motivation will wear off, but commitment keeps going or something like that. I don't remember, but how commitment is something that really changes things. And more important than just blind commitment Commitment to creating important and worthwhile changes because there's commitment that leads to bad and commitment that leads to good. Making that commitment worth important change. Bruce Wayne wants to stop crime and make Gotham a better place, a safe place for good people there. People, th- this is a line that he tells Alfred, Alfred, people need powerful examples to shake them out of their apathy. As a symbol, I can be incorruptible. That's his mission is to, is to shake these people into doing more and they need a, a kickstart and he's willing to do that. It's incredible what it does. And, and even more than that, to end this topic of commitment perfectly and how it changes us, probably my favorite line in this entire trilogy, I'll just play it for you because I, the, the way that it's spoken by Michael Caine is even more powerful than just a word. You still haven't given up on me. I don't have anything to add to that. That's commitment. That's commitment that changes lives. And I just love it. And I love the film for all of the context and juicy things it has about commitment to just dissect how it changes us. Commitment to anything. And Batman isn't the only character. Bruce, Alfred, they're not. Rachel, for example, her commitment. Of course, we can go into The Dark Knight. Joker's commitment 
uh, Harvey Dent's commitment, Ra's al Ghul's commitment, the League of Shadows, their commitment, so on and so forth. It's incredible. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Thanks for enjoying Noel November with me. It is my watch schedule is so controlled with the podcast. And so it's great to get back to films that I just love. And I know that I love and wholeheartedly love and just relish in enjoying them. It's fun. If you want to join me, use that hashtag Nolan November. Follow me on Instagram. If you want to contribute to these episodes, contact me in any way, even if it's just an email, I'll include your thoughts on the dark night and the dark night rises coming up. So reach out to me. If you haven't seen this film and you want to watch it, or the dark night or the dark night rises, reach out to me for a screen pass. I have two more this month that I can give out. I'll have three more come December 1st, so reach out. Sadly, it's only in the U.S. I wish I could do more internationally, but wherever you are, thank you so much for listening. Once again, this is The Basement Binge. My name is Harrison. That's all for now. Ciao, ciao. Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.